Well, I'm going to start our um, service, say, with uh, a reading from the scriptures. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the angels. But I tell you truly, there are some here, standing here, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 22, or 27. Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. It's so good to be here with you this morning. It's an exciting morning uh, for those that are here with us and those that are online because we have um, three people that are making the commitment to be baptized today. We have Elle and Jasmine and Samantha back there that have, have made um, that choice, that commitment to follow Jesus and be baptized. You know, I, I personally have found that we are changed by what we are committed to in life. Today, we're in a final uh, message uh, in our series on being the church and we are only really truly being the church when we are a committed people to following Jesus. When we're committed to following his mission and his purpose in the world. You know, in this series, we've been looking at the cultures of the kingdoms, the, the cultures that Jesus taught us. And one of the most important cultures that Jesus taught us is one of being committed. But as Americans today... We live in a culture that seems almost anti-commitment. Very few people are willing to make and stick by their commitments to about anything. One thing that our society is built on is healthy families. You know, 30 years ago or so, I learned that 50% of marriages end in divorce, even in Christian homes. You know, actually, that statistic's improving. It's getting better, but it's not really good news because it's not because more people are committing their lives in marriage. It's because less people are making the commitment to be married in the first place. According to the CDC, 40% um, percent of all births happen to unmarried women. Yet studies show that children raised by married parents do better in life on almost every available economic and social measure. You know, there are many factors to that. You know, the, the, the better economics that, that two family, you know, income brings, but often it's, it's just better parenting, more attention to the kids. It's, it's more opportunities that those kids have and, and, and a lot less instability. Yet today, 70% of women and men feel that it's better to cohabitate instead of marriage so that they might prevent a divorce. And so that just that lack of commitment puts more child children at risk. Marriage is good for children. You know, people are often 
not very committed to their jobs and, and, and to their employers. And often employers have very little commitment to their employees. They're more committed to the bottom line. It, it, it seems like more and more companies have little commitment to supporting the products we, we buy from them. Um, just try to get a live person on the phone today. If you have a problem with your electronic devices or your software, you're probably not going to reach somebody live. You know, over the past 10 years, I've noticed that people um, have changed in the way they commit even to social events. You know, I worked in the entertainment business for 30 years, and in that industry, you know, when I started, we used to book things a year or six months in advance, and I heard stories of people that would book their calendars two or three years in advance of the events that they were doing. Now, often today, clients call me a month or a week in advance for major times during the year. I think today people are slow to make commitments, even to events. I I, I think even in the church this happens. I've noticed people seem to wait to the very last minute to commit to an event. It's like everybody's waiting for a better offer, and then they'll commit. If nothing else more exciting than church comes about, then they'll commit at the last minute. You know, that's extremely difficult for our hospitality leaders and and those who are trying to plan events and and trying to plan food because we often overbuy our resources and we spend more time and money and and communication and marketing trying to figure out who's who's coming. And often those events end up understaffed because it's it's, it's hard to plan. And, And many charitable organizations today are struggling with volunteers and with low resources because it seems very few people want to commit their time or money consistently to help those organizations. In a recent study, it says the demand for those services of those organizations through the pandemic has gone up by 10%. But funding has dipped by 29%. That math doesn't work, does it? And, And most nonprofits say they are losing about half their usual volunteering hours. See, even at the church, we are being asked to do more with less. You know, in most churches, volunteering has been at the lowest point than it's been in the last 10 years in most churches. You know, see, there's often this consumer mentality um, that the church is there to serve us instead of we are there to serve in the church. People come to church looking for how much the staff is committed to them and their needs, but they have little commitment to the mission of the church. You know, shortly after I wrote these cultures for Crossman's Church, I realized that we were missing a very important one. And so this fall, I, I shared my thoughts with some of our leaders, and we added this new culture for the type of people we choose to be at Crosswinds. And it's this, a people committed to serve, dedicated to serving God daily with our prayers with our time, with our money, and our abilities to demonstrate his goodness, his love, and our, his love for one another, and love for those we seek to reach with the gospel. Church should be a place of service. You know, the Bible is always countercultural to the world's culture. It's always opposite. And I believe it's important for our church that we represent a kingdom culture of service, which is the culture of Christ, and not the world. You know, if in the world we're not committed to marriage, 
At Crosswinds, we should be a people that are committed to marriage, not only our own, but other people's marriage, and pray for them and help them. In, in the world that people do not commit their time or resources to help others, we should be the type of people that lead an example to show the world how to serve one another. Most people in this world just cash in on their own abilities and their own resources for their own profit. But at Crosswinds, we should be the type of people who give the best of what we have, our time, our money, and our abilities for the benefit of the whole, for the benefit of everyone. You know, at Crosswinds, we we should be a people that demonstrate a commitment in everything, everything we do. You know, I almost titled this message, J-H-A. Jesus hates apathy. I think that's what the verses I read this morning are saying. Or at least they're sharing the danger of apathy. You know, unfortunately, many today in his church are just apathetic people. They're apathetic, just like people in the world. It often seems like there are more fans of Jesus than followers of Jesus. Fans just come on Sunday for a religious show. Followers seek to demonstrate God's goodness daily in the world by committing themselves to following his ways. And what often drives people to not commit is a fear of commitment. Either the fear that they'll miss out on something possibly better than God, or or the fear of taking on responsibility, or or the fear of, of not fulfilling their commitments. But what if making a commitment to God was the thing that actually took away all your fears? What if committing is what really makes life better? What if being committed is what gave you purpose and enjoyment in your life? You know, I've been married now for 35 years. And I know that the commitment that I made to my wife 35 years ago has made me a much better man. I wouldn't be up here if it weren't for her. That commitment has brought me more lasting joy than many of the men I know who could not ever commit to one woman. I also know that being committed to Jesus Christ has brought me a lot more joy and purpose and opportunity than being a fan could ever do. Being committed to my career and and to my customers has increased my skills and it's enriched me. Now, it's not always easy to be a, a person of commitment. But in the long run, there are more blessings in it, some blessings that the uncommitted will never see. Jesus asks us to be a committed people, to grow us, to be more like him. He's more interested in our character than our comfort. And he knows that we'll find blessing in being committed. So today, let's look closely at what he says in God's word so that we might find our blessing in our commitments that we make to him. He says this first. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice Jesus said this to all. Some would think there are those that are seriously committed, those seriously committed disciples, and then there's everybody else. But but Jesus did not see it that way. Jesus had shown his kindness and his identity right before he said this 
to a miracle feeding of over 5,000 people who were hungry after listening to his teaching. And in that group, Jesus had a lot of fans, many who had come just to hear his teaching and, and maybe see a, a few miracles. But, but Jesus wasn't satisfied with a large crowd. He was looking for commitment. And that's why he said these words. His words were not just to some committed apostles. Jesus' call was to everybody. It was universal. It was inclusive. He says, if anyone... He is saying that if anyone wants the real benefit of a relationship with him, all you need to do is be committed to him. Now, was he saying this was just a a little commitment, a a saying a prayer, walking an aisle? No. Jesus was looking for ultimate commitment as he invited people to be his disciples. He, he, He mentioned a cross. Not, not, now, in, to us in the 21st century, a cross can simply represent a, a pretty piece of gold jewelry or a, a piece of art or a nice wood thing that, that was built over there by, I imagine, Emil. Um, was that Emil's handiwork? It's very nice. <laughs> you know, we, we think of that. It seems very tame, right? But nobody in the first century survived a cross. Roman soldiers were expert killers, and everybody knew it. Most in the first century in the Roman Empire had witnessed uh, a crucifixion. Uh, there was a Roman general, Cracus, who defeated um, the slave rebellion and, and Spartacus and crucified him and 6,000 other soldiers or men between Rome and Capua. Now, that was a 120-mile stretch of road on one of the most important highways in the Roman Empire. Can you imagine seeing 6,000 men gasping for breath, bleeding out on a cross from here to Wisconsin along 294? That's what these people are thinking as they hear the word cross. Jesus is making it very clear to the crowd that you can't just be an uncommitted fan and follow him. Following means a, a commitment to die. To die to your old ways and, and, and to live committed to a new value in your life or a, a kingdom culture. And this new culture Jesus is teaching is that you are to choose to deny yourself for the benefit of others. Jesus chose to pick up a cross for our sake. He was an innocent man. He had the power to stop the whole process anytime. He, he could stop the wind and the waves with only a word. A Roman legion of guards was no trouble for him. Yet he chose to deny his own rights. And he chose to be tortured for our sake. And, and Jesus, almost in critical condition, chose to pick up that filthy Roman crossbeam, almost likely that it was recycled from another man and put that filthy instrument on his bloody shoulder, mixing it with his own blood. And and he chose to walk down a street, crowds of people, his own people cursing him all the way to Golgotha. Jesus denied himself dignity. He denied himself freedom. He denied himself self-preservation because of his love for us And his love for his father was greater to him 
than his own needs. To follow him is to put the needs of others above your own. Or do you just come to church when you feel like it? When it's good for your feelings? Do you just serve others when there's a a, a direct social benefit to yourself? Do you only pick up things that are you're clearly responsible for in it, but if you see something around here that needs to be picked up or addressed, you, you, you don't bother? Are, 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 are you only picking up the things in life that are benefiting you and your family? Is your commitment to the church only committed to sitting in a climate-controlled room watching worship, watching a worship show for one hour a week? Is that, is that your commitment? Are you thinking, don't ask me to do anything uncomfortable like pray with others or have a gospel conversation with somebody. Don't ask me to use part of my day off to to maintain this building in any way, even though God has given it to us all for all of our benefit. Don't ask me to prepare a lesson to to teach somebody else's kids. Don't don't ask me to get here 10 minutes early and and greet guests or, or, or members don't ask me to pick up tables or, or chairs after worship. Yeah, I know Jesus picked up a cross, but I'm really too big a deal to stay and pick up empty soup bowls and chairs. Actually, honestly, I might be too important to pick up the messes that even me and my own family make around here and be responsible for them. I'm not going to even touch anybody else's mess. Do you realize when Jesus picked up the cross, he was picking up everyone's brokenness? He was picking up everyone's mess for them? Yet he never sinned. You're a sinner. Every one of us is. What makes you so special that you can't serve other sinners? Jesus took on the responsibility for everyone else's sin. And Jesus is asking his followers to do that willfully, to do this daily, not just one time heroically when everybody's watching you. Jesus is saying being the church is being committed to the the welfare of others every day. It's expressed in how we speak to one another and, and how we treat one another daily when we all sin against one another. We, we deny our need for emotional venting for the sake of the unity of this body and for our families. We often suffer the mess of other sinners like us, just like Jesus did, yet he was not a sinner. We, we deny our desire to be lazy, and instead we help out when work needs to be done to benefit the community. Sometimes we deny our own need for entertainment and rest when, when there are others that have need. You know, last week we had a prayer meeting for our brothers and sisters who are in the Ukraine that are suffering, that are maybe going through genocide at this point. And I was honestly shocked. I was taken back by how few showed up, even on Zoom, from the comfort of their own couch to pray for their brothers and sisters that are being bombed in another country. I guess some of you could not deny any part of your day off 
or deny yourself that movie on Netflix by hitting pause for a half hour or deny that big game on TV or maybe de- deny doing that project at home that just benefits you and your family. Or even deny yourself a little sleep because you had to work or do homework to prepare for the next day. Oh, come on, I already did my hard hour of work at church sitting in a cushy seat all morning. It's obligation to Jesus is fulfilled. Now it's just me time the rest of my Sunday. Is that the attitude? Beloved, are you acting like a fan of Jesus or a follower? You know, people ask this question all the time in the past. WJJD, what would Jesus do? I think he would throw up. I think he would throw up at our apathy. This lukewarmness, he would spit out of his mouth. That's what it says in Revelation. G. J-H-A is, I think, what he would say. Jesus hates apathy. He cares. He loves. What was Jesus most committed to do? A beautiful Sunday morning worship experience with romantic-sounding songs? No. His gospel of love towards us to die painfully, to redeem us from sin and free us from the power of the devil. We, we, we get a clue of what Jesus was really committed to by looking at the previous verse before he said this. Before he asked us to deny ourselves. It says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Son of man was a title meaning God, according to Daniel 7. And, and Jesus said, because of God's love for us, God must suffer. He was committed to suffer just a few things. No, many things. Not just on the day of his crucifixion, but for 33 years living as a human being on our planet, on our earth, suffering poverty, suffering abuse, suffering rejection by the very people he had created. Every day he suffered. When was the last time you you broke a sweat or suffered anything for his sake, or for his people's sake, which he loves. Denial of self for the purpose of the gospel was not just when Jesus felt like it. It it was the purpose of his life every day. Being uncomfortable in this world was a, a daily occurrence for this man of heaven. Having gospel conversations and praying for people is not an optional thing for his followers, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel. Jesus told his disciples, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Not I will make you comfortable and sentimental people who sit and watch worship music. But you may say, I I, I don't know anybody. Neither did he. He was from out of town, way out of town, from heaven. You may say, I don't have enough knowledge. Beloved, those are simply excuses to show your lack of commitment to him and your real commitment to something else, your fears. He didn't say, didn't he say, do not be afraid. Come follow me and I will teach you. 
Knowing people and knowledge are not what the problem is. The problem is commitment. Commitment to follow him. Because he said he would equip us. He would teach us. Your commitment to him is more important than your fears or being comfortable in every situation. If we are committed to him, his perfect love will cast out our fears. Those fears are demonic anyways. And we will be comfortable or we learn to be learn to be comfortable in being uncomfortable. You can learn to be comfortable in being uncomfortable. Cuz in his presence cuz he's right there, there is a fullness of joy forevermore. Sometimes when I go on a mission trip, I'm uncomfortable the whole time, but I feel his presence. And there's joy. Being comfortable doesn't necessarily bring you joy. Actually, being uncomfortable. My marriage is often uncomfortable. (laughs) Not because of her, because of me. (laughs) But it brings me great joy through the struggle. Marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. This life is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. If we are committed to him, His perfect love will cast out our fears and we will find that fullness of joy. Does what I'm saying seem too strong to you? So let's look at what Jesus says next. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Again, how inclusive a statement is that? There is a possibility for everyone, no matter how Young, no matter how old or rich or poor you are, no matter what gender you are, what gender you are attracted to, no matter what political party you identify with, you can be saved. You can have your life preserved forever for all eternity in in perfect joy based on one thing, your commitment to him. That's all you need. Not knowledge. Not perfect morality. Commitment to him. But if you try to save your own life, by your own commitments to your own purposes, Jesus says you will see an utter loss, an utter loss of your life. But whoever is a huge statement from our creator that he does not lie. And if you commit yourself to denying yourself daily for his sake, denying yourself daily for his sake, you will be saved. Given eternal life. The word sake in the Greek means cause. Friends, what was Jesus' cause? It, it, it was not feeding the poor. It was not being kind to people. It was not healing people. It was not singing a bunch of worship songs. Those were all things he did. Those were all good things that revealed the cause. His cause or his purpose was the proclamation and the fulfillment of his gospel. Ask yourself, are you committed to his gospel or just a pleasant Sunday morning religious experience? Or or maybe just doing some good things for other people in this world so that you feel better about yourself? Is it only, because it's only a commitment to him and his cause that saves us. Jesus didn't give his life just so we could sit here once a week for an hour. Jesus said that was a losing proposition. 
if the rest of your time is all me time, what you're doing right now is a losing proposition. Notice salvation does not come here in our morality. It comes from our commitment, a a commitment to give our lives to him. Do you remember the rich young man in Mark 10? He was an extremely moral man. He was very religious. He was rich. He was successful. He was a leader in his community. A man everybody thought had it made. He thought he had checked every box to receive the best of life. And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. What was it? Commitment. Commitment to Jesus. Because Jesus told him, the one thing you lack, sell all you have and follow me. See, the man was very committed to being religiously moral. He was very committed to helping others and to loving his neighbor as himself. He was committed to knowing God's word, but he lacked the one thing that would give him eternal life. A commitment to Jesus' cause in the world. A commitment to Jesus. To his purpose. Here's the reality. Everybody is a committed person. But we are often committed to the wrong things. You know, if you say, I do not have time to serve Jesus. I do not have time to serve his cause in the world. That's an untrue statement. God gives us all the same 24 hours a day. I don't have more time than any of you. I've got 24 hours. We just each make different choices in what we choose to be committed to. You can tell what most people are committed to by simply opening their calendar and their checkbook or their bank account, what they spend their time and their money on. If 100% of your time is devoted to your own purposes, then are you really committed to being a follower of Jesus? And if 100% of your money is spent on your own interest, are you really committed to following him? Or are you just really doing your own thing? Isn't that the truth? I, I think Jesus would say, what you really find important in your life is yourself. And, and that may work for you temporarily, but it's eternally a disastrous loss. Next, Jesus asks us a very important questions. I think that, that, that we all need to consider extremely carefully. For what does it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What does it profit us to gain things apart from Jesus? What, what does it profit us? Nothing. Nothing. It's another loss. If in this life you achieve everything important to you, but you never commit to God, your death will be an utter loss. People may sing your praises because of what you accomplished in this world, but you won't hear it. You may have amassed great wealth, but others will get to spend it. You may have great talent or fame, but without you, all that talent and fame is gone. You may have a great family life, but after a few generations, you're forgotten. Even if you played a significant role in history, someday the kingdoms of this world will be gone and all there will be is God's kingdom 
and all your accomplishments are gone. They're lost. Without you, everything that you gain is lost. But it's worse. It's because the Bible doesn't teach nihilism that we just cease to exist. That's not what it teaches. Jesus told us about a place called hell, which is a place of deep regret, a place where you'll be in torment every day knowing you chose inferior things to be committed to and not the best thing to be committed to. And no matter how spectacular those things were, you're going to regret it for the rest of eternity because you traded God for something created like um, you know, Netflix or, or, or your job or some other things, and you cosmically insulted your creator by ignoring him for the 60 or 70 years you're on this earth or less. Friends, it's not about being moral. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's about what do you really love? What are you really committed to? Yourself, the created things of this world, or God? The best thing. Because God is better than anything else in all the world. Jesus continues by saying, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels? You know, very few people in the world and, and very few church people would ever say that they would be ashamed of Jesus. He was a, not somebody to be ashamed of. Most people would actually claim to love Jesus. But, but don't you spend time with the people you love and don't you communicate with them? Reading the word and prayer is how we spend our time with the one we love, God, and how we communicate with him. And if we're just keeping up with the demands of people and the demands of this world and ignore him, aren't we saying we're ashamed of him? Isn't that what we're really saying? You know, we tend to be interested in the things the people we love are interested in. In the things that people we love make a priority in their lives. Jesus is most interested in the spread of his gospel, which saves what he loves people. And if we rarely speak to or of Jesus and his gospel outside of this Sunday morning experience, isn't that being ashamed of him? This whoever is also a universal statement here. It applies to people that go to church all the time. Even to people who say they love God. Even to people whose actions are very moral that we admire. The son of man or God will reject or be ashamed of them on the last day. They, they may not be welcomed into his kingdom. Not because they didn't accomplish great things in this life that everybody admires, but because they never picked up their cross and followed him in doing the things that were important to him. They were not able to deny themselves in their own glory in life for the sake of others. So when he comes in his glory, he will be ashamed to call them his people. Well, you could say, well, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of his gospel. But, but could anybody at your work, at your school, 
in your neighborhood or on your friend group determine that you are a disciple by how you live throughout the week? Do your social media postings share any of his words, any sermons about him, or any songs about Jesus, the one you claim to love? Or do they just contain pictures of what you really love more? Your children, your spouse, your favorite celebrities, the food you eat, your travel destinations. Should, should, should we bring up everybody's Facebook and look? See what your gods are? What you really love? You know, it seems like barely anybody in this church helps to expand the kingdom. Very few. By being committed to resharing sermons or events that we're having or encouraging verses, uh, uh, the app, trying to, trying to get the word out about Jesus' love for us. Are, are you ashamed to let the world know about the most important thing you say is in your life? Or is the problem Jesus is not the most important thing in your life? Ask yourself, and if an anthropologist came and studied us a thousand years from now and looked at the remains of our homes and, and, and our earthly existence, what would they find evidence of? Who would they think was our God? Would they know that Jesus was God to you? Or would they determine it was your children? That it was your career? That it was your house? That it was your body? That it was your hobbies? That it was your sexual orientation? That it was your political opinions or your streaming services? Are, the, are those the things that dominate your conversations with people? Is that the, the thing that dominates your online experience? And you say you're not ashamed? of Jesus or his gospel? What do you boast in in this life? Do you, do you boast in the things that you have done or what Jesus has done for you in your life? Finally, Jesus says this to all his fans who have come out just for the free bread and sushi. Got a lot of fans that want the free bread and sushi. But I tell you truly, there will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, I tell you truly. That's, that's like, like a prophet saying, thus says the Lord. He's, he's giving the authority of Yahweh here. He's claiming the authority of God with his word. And, and the reason we should not be ashamed of him and his word is Jesus is referring now to his own resurrection, which proves his identity as God. And his authority over our lives. And, and those that follow him as his disciples, those few that will follow him, not the 5,000, but those few that will follow him, will see him alive again after he's been crucified. But on that day, you know what happened? Most of the crowd stopped following him. They, again, were just there for the sushi and the bread. And maybe for a little entertaining sermon or miracle. Soon the religious, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes will have him killed. Now they were all seen as good moral people in their society. They all had positions of prominence in their culture. 
They had even become wealthy because of the things God allowed them to do. But they are ashamed of the Son of Man who said he must be crucified because of their sin. They have no commitment in their hearts to Jesus or his words. They like being thought of as the holy people of God, but not people who need a savior because they are so broken and sinful. They're without hope, without one. And so when the lunch is over, they start to walk away because the free lunch is done because they have no real commitment to Jesus. And what he is asking of them is too hard. Jesus asks his 12 committed disciples, do you want to walk away too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. But many of those fans that left later will choose a criminal instead of Jesus and publicly cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Crucifying an innocent man so that they can preserve what they are really committed to, their religion and their their compartmentalized little lives. But the ones who are committed to truly following him will see Jesus alive again three days after he dies. After he does what he must do, die for our sin, because our God loves us that much. He's that committed to us. He must do it. They will see the proof of the gospel, God's love for him, as he dies. And then three days later, he walks out of the grave. Jesus is committed to doing God's will which redeems us. And it's our commitment to following him that saves us today. Are are you committed to following him? Are, are, Are you committed to his cause, his purpose in this world to bring the good news? The good news that God is committed enough to us all to come and to die, to remove our sin so that we can see his kingdom and not taste death, not taste death, eternal death and hell? Or are you just a fan? Are you just committed enough to claim him every day in words but not actions? Are you not willing to deny yourself and Deny your own priorities to follow him. Jesus is the only one, as Peter says, who has proved he has the words of eternal life. He is worthy to follow. Today, Jesus is not looking for crowds of fans. Crowds of fans who will not get to see his kingdom before they taste death. He he is looking for followers, real players on the field committed to him, ones that have assurance in his kingdom because they're following him committedly to the end. 
being a committed people, having a committed kingdom culture is what brings life. Those who are apathetic will face death. Beloved, it's time. It's past time to repent, to turn from our apathetic ways and follow Him. To follow His cause with our greatest commitment because His love is so great for us. And He saves all who will turn and commit and follow Him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. It's not always easy, but it's true. And there's a promise in it of everlasting blessing and eternal life. And I pray that right now in people's hearts, they would start to turn. Change their priorities, not just in this moment, but daily. Deny themselves and turn and follow you. For in you is life. In you is pleasures forevermore. In you is blessing. The world can only offer us death. Jesus, let us build our life upon you. If there's anybody here right now that has not made a commitment in their heart to him, let them do that right now. Let them turn. Even in their fears, turn and follow him. Maybe today they need to to make the commitment to be baptized, to say publicly, I am standing for you. I am following you. I identify with your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Lord, let us be a committed people. A people that show the world what real love is. Because love isn't about a feeling. It's about a commitment. It's about a commitment to others. Father, let us be a people that display you to the world. Let's start with me. Let each one of us say that. With our own commitment to you. We don't, we don't go anywhere by our com- commitments our parents make or the commitments our friends make. We, we go to you by the commitment we make in our hearts. So Lord, if there's anybody out there that has not made their own commitment to you, may they do that right now. May they see life. May they see eternal life. May they never taste death. Because you have come that they might live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now's the time to respond. As the song is played, if you have never committed to Jesus or if you need to recommit to Jesus, I'm here. I'm happy to pray with you. After this song, we'll watch some people witness their commitment to Jesus.